1 Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. This is God's word, eternally true. Afterwards, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. Do this. Remove all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. You must also raise an army like the one you lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, so we can fight Israel on the plains. Then surely we will be stronger than they. He agreed with them and acted accordingly. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. When the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats, while the Arameans covered the countryside. The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. For seven days they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day the battle was joined. The Israelites inflicted a hundred thousand casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them. And Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in an, upper room, in an inner room. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletins or up here. The word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. We looked at uh, the, the uh, larger portion of this last week and we talked about uh, how uh, God is is for us, for His people, and how He has uh, guaranteed uh, the eternal life of His people because He crushes the king that would harm us. And that king who would harm us, the, the prince of the power of the air, uh, the one who's the head of the dominion of darkness is Satan himself. Um, today we talk about uh, how Jesus crushes uh, this evil one in our lives today until we see him face to face. If you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome uh, to do that. Um, the good news for the church we see in verse 28, um, and it talks about these two things. And first of all, A, last week we looked at Jesus crushed. That's your blank there if you'd like to fill out blanks. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. Jesus crushed Satan and death to protect his people from eternal harm. So just like Ben-Hadad was a king who came to harm God's people, God protected them. And this is, as Jesus said in Luke 24, all of scripture speaks of me. As the writer of Hebrews talks, that all of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing, a shadow of the reality that's come in Christ. And so as we look at this, this real history where a king from Aram, which is modern day Syria, comes down and attacks God's people. This is a, a shadow or a figure of how Satan, um, king of the dominion of darkness, attacks God's people, you 
today. So last week we talked about how Jesus protects you from that attack. He protects you from that harm, that eternal harm Satan would bring upon you through eternal destruction and, and an eternity in the lake of fire. Um, and uh, today we talk about how he crushes Satan in your life today. So B, in your outline there, Jesus crushes Satan in your life now. Jesus crushes Satan in your life now. That is, God delivers, to use the language of verse 28. Look there in verse 28. Um, God delivers the king who wants to harm you into your king's hand. He says there, I will deliver this vast army into your hands. So God's people could know they would be protected back in these days if God was going to deliver their king or deliver to their king any foreign invader, anyone who is out to harm them. And today we look at how, uh, how we are delivered uh, from Satan through our great king, Jesus. So number one in your outline there, um, you know this. We talked about it last week. You knew it before last week too. Satan is your enemy. Satan is your enemy. First um, Peter 5.8, Peter says that flat out. Your enemy, the devil. He says there. So Satan is your enemy. Now, A, here in this passage, how we tie this up, um, Ben-Hadad of Aram, which is Syria, uh, was a king seeking to harm God's people. So Ben-Hadad was coming to harm God's people. And we see this in verses 1 through 12, which we didn't read this morning, but we read a few, a few weeks back, actually back in November. Uh, he comes in to harm God's people and he threatens them and says, basically, give me your silver and gold. And um, Ahab, a weak and unfaithful king generally, um, gives the silver and gold. And then Ben-Hadad comes back and says, well, that was easy. I'll go back and take more. And so he goes back to uh, uh, Israel and he says, now I'm going to come and I'm going to search out the houses of your most, most wealthy people and I'm going to take everything you treasure. Um, and then on top of that, he goes to war with God's people, seeking to do them harm and to steal from them. And they, God's people, under Ahab, trusting in the Lord, Ahab, shockingly, trusting in the Lord, defeats the armies of Aram, even though they greatly outnumbered them. And so we began this morning with verse 22, picking up with that, and a prophet comes to Ahab after the, the battle he wins over uh, Ben-Hadad, he comes to Ahab and says, now prepare because, okay, I know this is the fall, but after the winter's over, Ben-Hadad is going to come again in the spring and he's going to attack you. So get ready. And so now we're seeing this, this fourth time that Ben-Hadad is coming to do God's people, coming to do God's people harm. So your second line there under A, Ben-Hadad had come four times to, here's your blank, harm, harm, kill and steal from God's people. That's what Ben-Nadad was about, coming to harm, kill, and steal from God's people. And so be there, Satan seeks the same in regard to you. Satan seeks the same in regard to you. That is to steal, kill, and destroy, or your blank there, to harm, to summarize those three, to harm you in your life. 
We saw this in the Declaration of the Gospel this morning, and it's there in your, your worship guide there under the Declaration to the Gospel, John 10.10. 10. Jesus said the thief, speaking of Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came that you might have life and might have it to the full. So Satan seeks this for you in your life and as a Christian to harm you, to steal whether it's your joy uh, or whether it's proper relationships from you, peace in your relationships from you, um, peace uh, with God from you because he wants to guide you into sin and make you feel feel guilty or, or whatever it is. Satan wants to guide you in all kinds of sinful ways so that he steals from you what God wants you to have in your life until that day when you see him face to face. So Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, um, to harm you in your life. Now, number two, number two, just to review our, our points of contact here with this, with this text. Satan, that's your blank. Satan is the king who wants to harm you in your life. Again, Peter calls him our enemy, the devil. Um, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls, prowls about seeking someone to devour. Um, we have in Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul writes this um, about how Satan leads those who aren't under Christ, which was us before we believed. He says this, and as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live in your transgressions and sins when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. And so we were following Satan in our evil desires, walking in his ways before God regenerated us and brought us brought us to faith. Um Paul writes, we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So prior to God giving us his spirit, causing us to be born again, giving us new life and faith, prior to that, we were following after our own Sin nature, uh, the cravings of our sin nature, walking in the ways of the evil one. And the problem is today as Christians, we still have a sin nature within us. Scripture talks about that. And so there's this battle that Paul talks about um, uh, pointedly, like in Romans 7, that we have the Spirit of God in us to lead us in Christ's ways. But we have a sin nature in us as well. And that the two battle within us. And so Satan is using this sin nature that still dwells in you and dwells in me to lead us astray, to harm us, to steal from us, to kill us in any way he can, um, that we would be harmed. So that's your B there. Satan wants to harm you as much as he can. Um, Satan's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Satan wants to harm you as much as he can. And see, how does Satan harm you? 
How does Satan harm you? Satan harms you. Satan harms you through bringing you temptation. That's your blank there. Satan harms you by bringing you temptation in an effort to get you to sin. That's how Satan harms you today. He brings temptation to you in an effort to get you to sin. So this is what we see in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Satan enters the garden and talks with, with Eve, a clever way to get to Adam. And he deceives Eve. And his intentions are not good. He claims his intentions are good, which is just how temptation works. Temptation is putting something in front of us that God says, oh, you shouldn't do that, that'll harm you. But Satan brings temptation in front of us and temptation is putting that thing that will harm us in front of us and trying to convince us that temptation is saying, and if you do this, it'll be good for you. If you do this, you'll enjoy it. If you do this, it'll be worth it. And so Satan comes into the garden and says, take of this fruit that God has said you shall not eat. It'll be good for you to understand good and evil. It'll be good for you to be like gods. That'll be good for you. And that's deception. But it sounds good to Eve. And so she takes of the fruit and, and, and she gives it to Adam. And, and Adam falls into that as well. And he's deceived. He takes something that's going to harm him. And it, in fact, harms him. That's how Satan works. First uh, Corinthians 7, 5 says Satan brings temptation to believers today. Satan tempts us because of our lack of self-control and through our lack of self-control is what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. So Satan tempts Christians today. Um, James 1, 14, interestingly, when you have this picking apart diagnosis of how temptation confronts us and we wind up in sin. It's in James chapter 1. James uses the language of Genesis 3. Temptation, deception. So he says there in James 1.14, but each one is tempted. So when we're tempted, here's what happens. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, our sin nature within us that still resides in us, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Okay, that's the language of the Garden of Eden. Dragged away and enticed. Then after desire, our sin desire, our sin nature has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, it's harmed us. And so James says, in verse 16 of James 1, don't be deceived, therefore, my dear brothers. So here's the picture. We as believers have God's spirit in us and we have a sin nature. And so Satan brings to us temptation to entice us. And if we let that temptation entice us and, and that conceives, that gives birth to, to death or to harm to us, puts us in the realm of how spiritually dead persons live, not how spiritually alive persons live. And so James urges his readers and us as we read this, 
Don't be deceived, dear brothers. So circumstances plus our sin nature can lead us to committing sin. So D, D, know this. Uh, when you sin, it harms your soul. Two things, I'm saying two different things here. It harms your soul and, second thing, your life. When you sin, it harms your soul and your life. So, so recognize this. Sin is what harms you. And Satan is that evil king who's coming to you. And his weapon is not like Ben-Hadad, a sword and a spear. Um, but his weapon is he knows you have a sin nature. And he brings something that's sin in front of you, which he knows if you commit it, this sin, he knows that will harm you. And so how he gets you to commit that sin to harm yourself is he brings that sin toward you in an enticing way, which means he'll make it look like it'll be good for you, that it'll be a benefit to you. Okay, but this is deception, just like it was deception to Adam and Eve. Eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was deception. It was not good for them. It brought to them, as God said it would, spiritual death. Just like James said in James 1. When we, when sin conceives, okay, when we fall into that sin, it brings death. Doesn't mean we're going to die physically right on the spot, but it means we've been harmed. So when you sin, it harms your soul and your life. So number one, First of all, your soul. When you sin, you're doing damage. When I sin, I'm doing damage to my soul. Regardless of what happens, my soul is getting damaged. Okay, it's like taking a, you know, a pick and just digging out at your chin there to give you an image there. That's what sin is. You're damaging yourself. Your soul is being damaged by your doing the sin. So your soul is negatively affected when you sin. That's your number one point there. Your soul is negatively affected when you when you sin. Oh, Jim read for us this morning from 1 Peter 2.11. Listen to the language here um, of this verse. Sinful desires, Peter says, wage war against your soul. Your sinful desires, your sin nature is doing battle with the Spirit of God within you and with your soul who wants to walk in God's ways, as Paul says, I know the right that I want to do, but I often don't do it. Wretched man am I. Okay, so in your, your sinful desires, wage war against your soul. Your sin nature is working and Satan is using your sin nature through temptation to do damage to your soul. He's waging war with your soul, with your soul itself, your inner being, right? Like Psalm 139, you've created me in my inmost being. So um, this is kind of like uh, pork rinds, right? I loved pork rinds when I was a kid. I would eat them while I was watching Brady Bunch after school until my actual chest would hurt. <laughs> I don't know what that was physiological, physiologically, but my chest would hurt. <laughs> so I downed some Pepsi 
<laughs> and I think if I put the Pepsi and the pork rind in my mouth at once, it, it uh, fizzed. You know, there were bubbles like Pop Rocks. Another 70s reference for you there. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, pork rinds, you know, right then and there, you know, it may not seem to be doing you harm with those first few there. But, you know, it's probably not doing anything good to your arteries. It's doing damage to your body. You know, pork rinds are, are right pork fat that's deep fried and it gets puffy. Is that right or not? It's intestines even better. No, it's, it's, okay, it's the skin. Okay. There we go. So it's bad for you. <laughs> but it brings, when you sin, here's what happens. Here's what's gone on in your soul. First of all, it brings guilt to your soul. Okay, and this is because the image of God is upon you. And you're being conformed into the image of Christ by the Spirit of God in you, Romans 8. And you know this is not right. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. They know something's not right, and they, they, they get fig leaves and, and, and wrap them around them. And then when God walks in the garden again, they hide. There's guilt. And so when we sin, this is the soul damage we've done. Even if we've affected nobody, and no one's seen it, and it hasn't been a sin against another person, we've got this Adam and Eve response. Our soul has been damaged. And our, our fellowship with God disrupted, and the way we're thinking about God, and, 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 and we're hiding in our souls. Um, so it brings guilt in our soul, and it robs us of the freedom we have when we're just walking in God's ways, and in the joy of walking in his ways. Um, it also, here's a way it, it damages your soul. It, it, it's you crossing a line. God's commands are a line where he says, don't cross this. And they're not arbitrary lines where God's just saying, ah, this, and throws a dart up against the wall. God draws lines for us and says, don't go beyond this line because he cares for us. It's like telling your four-year-old, don't cross the street unless you're holding my hand. When you come to the end of the sidewalk and to the end of a curb, this is a line you don't cross unless you have your confirmation from me by holding my hand and I start walking through. Don't walk through this. This is a loving God in his command saying, don't cross this line. And when we sin, we cross that line. And I think all of us, at least those who are, are a little bit older and have been walking with Christ for a while, we know these different sins we've walked into where we hadn't done that kind of sin before. And we cross a line into that sin. You know, it becomes harder to say no the next time. We've done damage to our soul. Um, some of you know I've, I've had a hamstring injury since the early June. And that, that's getting better now. But hamstring injuries take a long time to recover from. Um, and I, I knew this when I got it back then, and so I've been very careful with it. Uh, but you, you, you know it a lot of times from football or different things. Someone gets a hamstring injury, and they're probably out for at least two months. 
You know, and you can't, you, it's just rest. You got to rest and then, then they're weak because they've been resting. So they have to then do weight work, but they have to do that gently so they don't re-damage the hamstring, that kind of thing. And that's what sin does to us. We, we damage ourselves and then we've got to recover. We enter a period of recovery from that before we can get back up to where we were before we crossed that line. Now, we can get there, and God brings us there to cross over. But, you know, I, I started running again. I had quit running uh, June 10th. I started running again the first week of November, and just very gently. And I've had to be very gentle, and I'm going through physical therapy, and just so that I don't re-injure this injury. But I am nowhere near where I was June 1st. I mean, nowhere near that. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I was just looking back to what I was doing back then. And it was just, I mean, just no comparison. I just slaughtered, you know, old John slaughtered, you know, January John there. Uh, but that's what sin does. We, we cross line and it damages us. Here's another thing about, about sin. When we cross, when we cross these lines, it, it, it's more enticing to us. Um, as we, as we, as we cross this line and it's more of a struggle then the next time it comes up. It's better we just stay, you know, if you haven't sinned in a certain way, it's better that you just say, nope, I'm not going to cross this line. Right? You, you've kind of experienced that, right? And once you cross that, oh, I'm always going to floss my teeth every night. You know, and then you don't one night. And then every time you're tired, you don't floss. You know, something like that. Um, and that's in, that's in our souls as well. And so now we recover from that. God helps us with that. He makes us strong again with that. But but the issue is we've damaged our soul as we cross this line. And we need to, as we cross the line, then we need to go into a period of saying, okay, no, no, saying no to sin. And, and that's hard for us, but we say no. And then it comes again. That's hard for us, but we say no. And, and then pretty soon we get re-get in the habit where that's just something I don't do anymore. Okay. And now we're always susceptible to sin. But when we sin, it doesn't make it easier. The lie of Satan, the lie of Satan is, do this this one time, it'll give you relief, and then you won't be tempted in this way again. It's the opposite. Once you, once you succumb to it, then it makes it harder to say no the next time. Okay. Now, God's Spirit works, and you will be able to say no to it. And we'll talk about that. That's what the rest of the sermon is about. But, but that's what sin is. It damages, it damages your soul. It's like running with a pulled hamstring. You can't really do it, and there's a lot of pain. And so it's better just to, to, keep, to keep walking in a way where you don't damage your hamstring. You know, I damaged my hamstring. I did too much, too much deadlifting and some weights on a Saturday. And then I, I ran a, a long run that was longer than I was supposed to go on the next Tuesday. And then I did sprint work that was too fast. It was faster than I was supposed to be going in my sprint work on the next Friday. And Saturday, I could hardly move. Um, and so it was just, it was, it was not treating, it was not doing things right. I was crossing lines, three lines in a row, thinking I was invincible, thinking that I'd be okay. So you can recover from anything by the work of God's Spirit, um, giving you the fruit of self-control, but your soul is damaged from the doing of sin. And it takes a much more concentrated effort 
or rehab period, uh, physical therapy for your soul, so to speak, uh, spiritual therapy um, to go through. So next line for you. Don't damage. Don't damage your soul through sinning. Don't damage your soul through sinning. Now, I'm not saying here that you'll ever have a day in your life where you're not sinning. Okay? You will and your motives and that kind of thing. But always have in your mindset not to sin. Not to sin. When there's a temptation coming up before you and you know in your mind, here's the evil, here's the good. What we're saying here, what this passage is saying here, is don't damage yourself by choosing the bad. That damages damages your soul. So don't damage your soul through sinning, but exercise self-control, simply saying no. Simply saying no to ungodliness and staying strong. That's what Titus 1 or Titus 2, 11 and 12 we're talking about. Jim read them for us this morning, saying that God has come by his grace. He comes, gives you his spirit so that you can say no to ungodliness. So you can say no to that temptation. Um, so don't go through a period of damage or a period of recovery from the damage you've done. So number two. So that's the first kind of damage you do to your own soul as you choose to sin. Number two, uh, you also damage your life. And by that, we mean your circumstances. That's your blank there in the parentheses. Sin also damages your life or your circumstances. Your circumstances are negatively affected when you sin. So again, we see this in Genesis 3. Not only did Adam and Eve experience damage to their souls and, and, and hiding from God and feeling shame and covering themselves, not only did they experience this, but their circumstances changed. They got knocked out of the garden, out of where God was present in his blessing. And the garden was guarded by cherubim and a flaming sword so they could not re-enter. And so our circumstances get affected when we sin. So, um, you know, like uh, uh, pork rinds, you know, if you keep that up, you'll get heart disease. <laughs> and that'll be a bad circumstance. Uh, that'll be a bad circumstance for you. Uh, but think of this. If you go into the sin of adultery, that's going to bring you in circumstances that have destroyed your life. Um, if you embezzle, you know, those are going to bring life circumstances where your life circumstances have been damaged. Um, I have a friend who early in his life embezzled in his 20s and went to jail. Um, and so now as he applies for jobs, he has to reveal that because that shows up on his uh, uh, criminal background check. And he has to explain that and speak of it so that his employer has to uh, and I heard him doing this. His employer has to uh, say to him uh, or, or has an idea that he's repented of this, that he sees that as folly and that he will not do that again. But he has to deal with that even now, even though he's in his early 60s because he did that in his 20s. His life circumstances were affected not only in that jail time, but now every time he looks Every time he looks for a new job or everybody, every time someone does a criminal background check on him. So this is what sin does when we do it. it. Harms our souls, who we are on the inside, our souls, and it harms our circumstances. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. 
Again, this is the language, Paul's using the language of the Garden of Eden. Do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Destruction to his soul, destruction to his life, his life circumstances. God will not be mocked. That's what Paul says there. Satan works to harm you in your life by getting you to sin, whether it's big sin, like physical murder or adultery, or little sin, so to speak, and doing something that's selfish instead of generous. Even if somebody doesn't realize you could have done something generous there, something happens in your soul when you make that decision. Oh, I could help here, but I'm not. I was talking with the Pattersons this morning about helping Jennifer move. <laughs> Yeah, like I was talking to about how much I hate helping people move. And so I'm always like, okay, I'll help. <laughs> but if I say, oh, I'm busy that day and I know I'm not, something hap has happened in my soul. And I feel guilty and rightly so because my soul is telling me, help that person. Your job on earth is, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you were moving, you would like a thousand people to help. You would like yourself to help. And so that's the, that's the course of not sin for me. It's saying, okay, I'll help. <laughs> and then doing a good job at it while I'm there until everything's out of the truck. Um, all right. Um, so, so whether, you know, even a little thing, uh, being stingy instead of giving, uh, speaking or, to someone in harshness instead of love, patience, and care, little sins. Okay, those do damage to us. So, we don't want to harm our soul or our circumstances. Um, so, in light of this, the path force is obvious. It's this, number three. Number three, fight. Fight all the time not to sin. I have to tell you this. This was first in the bulletin in a different way. And I'm I always go over the bulletin to make sure to type you know, read it, but I always do the, I do the, the, the underlying points to see if I can get them. <laughs> Usually I can occasionally I have to look at, you know, what I've, what I've written uh, for you. Uh, but as, as going through this, I realized that the, the point as I was, as I wrote it was fight not to sin all the time. <laughs> and I meant what I said here, fight all the time, not to sin, but I realized what it sounded like. But fight all the time. Don't take a vacation from fighting against sin. Um, it's like Jesus, when he finishes the 40 days of temptation, where Satan is tempting him in the wilderness, it says Satan went and departed from him until an opportune time to come back. So don't take a vacation from, as the scripture is saying, being on guard. Be on the alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a, a, a roaring lion prowling about seeking someone to devour. This is what Peter says. Be on the alert. So never don't be on the alert. Always be fighting against sin. Always be fighting all the time not to sin. Um, and so this is 14 through 30. You know, you fight against Ben-Hadad, but then the prophet comes to you and says, okay, you won. You won this person who is going to harm you, but prepare. He's coming back in the spring. Get that? See how this is an illustration for us? We successfully say no to ungodliness. And then, you know, it's like uh, uh, Ed Asner and Elf. 
right? That Christmas has just happened and he returns at the beginning of the movie to Santa's workshop. And, and it's when he has, you know, little buddy in, in his bag, but his bag, he hasn't shown himself yet. But Ed Asner, Santa Claus says, we just completed a, a, another Christmas day successfully. And all the elves go, yeah, now it's time to get ready for next Christmas. <laughs> and they all go, woo, because they're elves and they like to do that. But that's what we're to be like with sin. It's like, yes, I've just said no to ungodliness in my life and it feels good in my soul. Now, be on guard because my enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion and he wants to devour me again. There are opportune times and sometimes we can be excited like when I'm rooting for a team on TV, one of my, you know, one of the teams I root for, when I see them ex 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 celebrating too soon, I go, uh-oh, so don't celebrate, play defense. <laughs> don't be happy until the game's over and then relax. Uh, and, and so that's, that's what we're called to fight all the time, not to sin. So A, A, sin like Ben-Hadad is a force of oppression to you in your life. And he will come back in the spring, so to speak. Just like he does in this passage. He's a force of oppression to you in your life. John 8, 34, Jesus says, whoever sins is a slave of sin. Paul says the same thing, that, that sin, Satan seeks to enslave us through our sin natures. In uh, Romans seven fourteen, it's a force. Sin is a force of oppression. It's not being free. Unbelievers say, you know, let yourself be free. Do whatever you want. And that's freedom. But sin enslaves. As soon as we sin, we're enslaved by the sin that we've done. Because we have to hide it. We have to lie about it. Or we've created circumstances for ourselves that we have to now spend all this time getting out of because of the sin we've committed. We just walked into a, a web of enslavement. So B, now the good news is you're not the king in charge of destroying Satan himself. That's good news. We talked about that last week. But you are a soldier. So you're not Ahab, but you are an Israelite. You are a soldier under Jesus, who's your king, gladly, instead of Ahab. You are a soldier under Jesus and I'm called to fight against sin. You have a part in your own big word, sanctification. You have a, a, a role in your becoming more like Jesus. You are to say, as Paul says to Titus, to say no to ungodliness. And that's, your, that's your role. Now, Jesus enables you to do that. He's your king who's, who's crushing Satan in your life now, but he crushes Satan through you taking the call to arms as a soldier in Israel, taking a call to arms in this battle, in this battle against, in this battle against sin. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, that's the spiritual battle passage, right? We're engaged, we're waging war against our own sin nature and the temptation that Satan brings to us or as Peter says, as we saw in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, Peter says, your sinful desires war against your soul. So we're called to wage war against our sinful desires to protect our souls. Now see, 
So you're called to, called by God to resist, to resist Satan and sin. You're called by God to resist Satan and sin and to put your sinful deeds to death. 1 Peter 5, 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. He's trying to devour you, bringing you temptation. And Peter says, resist him. James 4, 7. James simply says, resist the devil. Those words, those three words, resist the devil. Romans 8, 13, Paul says, put to death the misdeeds of the body. Paul's talking about our sin nature here. And as we're called to faith in Jesus, then we're called to put to death the sinful desires, the misdeeds of the body. So D, D, this requires for us self-control. This requires for us self-control and standing firm in your faith requires for you your role is to stand firm resist the devil resist the temptation he brings in front of you by having having self-control and standing firm in your faith this is how peter starts off first peter 5 8 he says be self-controlled and alert your enemy the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith so be self-controlled, stand firm. Don't be weak in your faith. Don't be unalert. Be self-controlled, stand firm in your faith. Now, how can you do this? And that's number four. How can you have self-control? How can you stand firm in the faith? How can you be on alert? Number four, it's through this. Jesus conquers his and your enemies. Verse 28, just like the prophet said, here's what the Lord says to you, Ahab. I've given, uh, Ahab, I've given Ben-Hadad into your hands. You will destroy his vast army. Okay, so Jesus conquers his and your enemies. This is what we saw in our confessing our faith today. How does Christ carry out the office of a king? Well, he conquers all his and our enemies. And so Jesus is this king who leads us out to conquer our enemies. He says, A, there in your outline, I will deliver into your hands. And that means he will completely destroy. When we see this in scripture, in the Old Testament, God uses this phrase, I will deliver into your hands. He means I will completely destroy a city or a nation. That's your blank, a city or a nation. It's fighting men and it's king who are out to, har who are out to harm his people. God says, I will deliver them into your hands. And so God does this. We see a number of places I've listed there for you, including David over Goliath. He delivers Goliath into David's hands. And this is what God the Father has done for Jesus, delivered the evil one who held the keys to death and Hades in his hands. He's delivered him unto Jesus and Jesus has defeated him. Further, be to be clear, Jesus came to destroy Satan's work to harm your life. Um, this was part of our declaration of the gospel as well. You can see that on the front of your worship guide there. First John 3, 8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus has a purpose in your life to destroy the devil's work in and against your life. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. 
the devil's work in, in delivering you eternally into the lake of fire and delivering and, and to destroy the devil's work of getting you to sin to harm your soul and your life and your circumstances today. Jesus came for you. This is good news. Jesus is fighting for you to walk in his ways, to not do the sin that damages your soul. See, so how does Jesus do this? Jesus conquers Satan's work in your life. That's your blank. Jesus conquers Satan's work in your life in two ways. He conquers Satan's work in your life in two ways. First, by giving you his spirit, by giving you his spirit. John said to his disciples in John 15, 26, when the counselor comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will teach you all things. So Jesus says, when I ascend to the father, I will send you my spirit. And that's what we see in Acts chapter two in Pentecost. He tells his disciples this again in Acts chapter one, wait here in Jerusalem until I send you the promised Holy Spirit. And so the, Jesus has sent you, when you believed, Jesus had sent you his spirit to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, and you believe. And now his spirit, the spirit of Christ, dwells in you. Paul says in Romans 8, 9, if the spirit of Christ is not in you, then you're not a believer. So all believers have the spirit of Christ, and then Christ has given you his spirit so that you might walk in his ways. And that's number one there. Number one, so C1, Jesus gave you his spirit so that you can live your life by the spirit. Jesus gave you a spirit, not only to believe, but that you might live your life by the spirit, that you might walk through life day after day, hour by hour, by the spirit and live your life by the spirit. And thus, here's your next blank, not gratify the desires of the sinful nature which bring you to ruin so that comes from that quote is because i'm quoting galatians 5 16. galatians 5 16 paul says this i say live by the spirit paul says live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature and so that's our call as christians jesus gave you his spirit and now he calls you live by the spirit I gave you, and if you live by my spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the, your sinful nature. That's the effect of the Holy Spirit in your person. He's with you, he's in you, and you can live your life by him and not gratifying the desires of your sin nature. Uh, listen to Paul in, in Romans 8, 12, and 13. This is something Jim read for us as well. Therefore, brothers, Paul says, we have not an obligation, but our obligation is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But again, language of Genesis. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. What's the way of life or the Christian way of living? To live according to the spirit, which puts to death the misdeeds of the body. Again, Paul says this, therefore, brothers, I, you have an obligation not to, it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
So by the Spirit of God who's in you, you can put to death the misdeeds of your body. You can say, as Paul says to Titus in Titus 2, you can say no to ungodliness. This is within your realm. This is within your power because the Spirit of God lives in you. And God calls you to live by the Spirit. So number two. Um, by the Spirit, this is a little bit about what the Spirit does in your life. By the Spirit, you have self-control. By the Spirit, you have self-control, which enables you to say no to temptation. Okay, so Galatians 5.22, fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Um, John Calvin talks about how the, the key to the Christian life is self-denial. I think self-denial is the front half of self-control. Self-denial is a form of self-control. Self-denial is having self-control to say no to sin. But self-control also propels me into righteous action, into doing what God has said for me to do. So self-denial is saying, uh, is resisting the temptation to say, man, I you bug me. <laughs> and self-control takes me into the positive thing of, hey, glad to see you. And feeling that in my heart. Repenting of my, my lack of love for that person there. And, and having that transformation right there on the spot in my heart. That self-control by the Spirit to act in a loving way toward a person who, apart from the Spirit, I'd say, oh, you're here. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather be somewhere else right now? But the Spirit of God, so Jesus gave you his Spirit so that you would have the power to say no to sin, but also so that you would have the self-control to be able to say no to sin and yes to the things he's told you to do by the Spirit. Okay, so now D. D. Um, so two ways we talked about. How does, how does Jesus conquer Satan's work in your life? One, by giving you his spirit. That gives you power and self-control. Okay, so that conquers, the, that conquers Satan's work in your life. The spirit of God and self-control helps you conquer sin in your life. Second way that Jesus, as your king, conquers sin in your life is he all D, he also conquers the devil's harm in your life. Here's the second way, by sovereignly arranging, by sovereignly arranging your circumstances. Sovereignly arranging your circumstances so that the temptations are not beyond what you can resist. Jesus as king, Ephesians 1.22, is above all principalities and powers, all dominion upon his ascension, for the sake of the church. So he's ruling over all things and he's making sure your circumstances are not beyond, are not providing temptation to you that's beyond what you can say no to. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 13, some of you have memorized this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
That's Jesus, your king, arranging the circumstances. And as you grow in Christ, you grow in your ability to resist the evil one. But he's always, as a king who loves you, giving his watchful care over your life, making sure the circumstances are not beyond what you can bear. So God is faithful. He will not let you, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it so that you won't fall, so you won't crumple to the ground. So E, kind of a summary for you. E, because of God's spirit, because of God's spirit, that's part one. Because of God's sovereignty, that's part two. You can resist the devil. And here's what James says in James one or James four seven, and he will flee from you. So Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil in your life, and he gave you his spirit so that you would have power to say no. He gave you by his spirit self control so that you can control yourself, like I've been told when I get to by my dad and brother, John, control yourself <laughs> when I'm too mad about something. Control yourself, John. Uh, so I can control myself so that I don't fall into sin. And then he arranges my circumstances so that there's nothing beyond my ability to say no. No temptation toward ungodliness that's beyond my ability to say no by the power of the Spirit who is in me. So, summary. Summary. There's not only good news for you in that Jesus crushed death, that you might have eternal life. That was last week. That Jesus is given over uh, into Jesus' hands, Satan, and Jesus has dominated Satan in that way so that Satan will not dominate you at final judgment but that Jesus has rescued you, saved you for final at final judgment. But also, there's also, second part of this, good news for your life now. There's good news for your life. Christianity and believing in Jesus is not just about your eternity being secure. Christianity also has good news for your life now until you see him. And that's this, that Jesus crushes the devil's work. Jesus crushes the devil's work, the devil's ability to harm you, by giving you his spirit, by giving you his spirit and by arranging your circumstances, by giving you his spirit and by arranging your circumstances so that you can say no, you can say no to the temptation and sin that would harm you. Jesus doesn't want your harm. Doesn't want your harm in your life. He doesn't want harm to your soul. And so this is what he has done as your good king. Let's pray.